Welcome back to Sideline Exposure. I'm your host, Mitchell Crossan, and we are switching things up just a little bit this week with a different episode. We're going to be recapping the NFL Draft 2022, so things will look a little bit different with this episode. We'll get back on track with our exposure pods starting next week, but the NFL Draft just finished up here. The seventh round just completed. It's Saturday, April 30th, and there's a lot of drama, and we noticed some things, especially in the first round and with Georgia and how successful they were with getting a lot of players drafted. And so we wanted to spend some time talking about the NFL draft. And before we actually jump in to the first round, there was a lot of speculation surrounding the talent that was in this draft and all the pre-draft stuff going through, you know, the mock drafts out there and the combine and the pro days. You see all these analysts that go on TV and say, oh, well, there's not a lot of talent in this draft or this draft could be a bust. Really, what they mean is that there is a lack of quarterbacks or elite quarterbacks. I mean, we people talked about Kenny Pickett, but he's not a super elite quarterback. Whereas when you look at next year's draft, 2023, we're talking about quarterbacks and most notably Alabama's Bryce Young, who won the Heisman Trophy this last year. And then Ohio State's CJ Stroud, who's supposed to be a stud and have a great year. Assuming they both enter the draft after next season, which really seems to be almost certain at this point. So there's highs and there's lows. This was still a very talented draft. It just wasn't quarterback heavy. So we're going to go ahead and jump into the first round here because there's quite a bit of drama almost off the bat. Now, at the top, there really wasn't too much speculation on what Jacksonville was going to do. The only thing here that raised some eyebrows was, are they going to draft Trayvon Walker, defensive end out of Georgia, or goal with the defensive end, Aiden Hutchinson, out of Michigan. They did go with Trayvon Walker out of Georgia, who went first overall to Jacksonville. And then at number two, Michigan defensive end, Aiden Hutchinson, went to the Detroit Lions. And this was a good pick for Jacksonville. I mean, they really couldn't have gone wrong with either player. Jacksonville is still rebuilding, and they have their quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. Now, their offense is by no means set. Trevor Lawrence is still working through some growing pains. It's quite a transition from becoming a collegiate quarterback to an NFL quarterback. You're also given the keys to the franchise, so we have to allow him time to grow and grow into a great player, which he can become maybe even next year at the earliest, but possibly a couple more seasons down the line. They still need pieces offensively, but you need that dominant force on the defensive end at linebacker or as an edge rusher. So they really couldn't have gone wrong with either Trayvon or Aiden here. So they went with Trayvon, and he was your typical five-star prospect out of high school. Like I say, I mean, typical five-star. Five, be, becoming a five-star out of high school is a hard thing to do. So credit to him, but he seemed to be on the fast track to the NFL ever since he got those five stars in high school. He was named to the freshman All-SEC team in his first year and then had a solid second year of growth before playing in all 15 games in his third year where he recorded 7.5 tackles for loss. So his stats really weren't that amazing, but that's fine because that's only one element to look at. You also have to remember that he was playing on this Georgia defense last year that was completely stacked with talent, guys that were going to get drafted in the NFL. And some were actually thinking that this was the best collegiate defense in the last 20 years or the best defense in the modern era. So you're not going to have all these guys putting up Chase Young numbers when they're pretty much sharing the ball, if you will, on the defensive side. Part of his 
NFL draft analysis has him as a pretty good run stopper, but he also has a nice blend of explosiveness and has really underrated speed, in my opinion, running a 4.51 in his 40-yard dash at the NFL Combine. So on paper, he's really everything you need. He's not a Chase Young, and you can't compare his stats to a guy like Chase Young, but he can be very productive at the next level. And in the first press conference that Jacksonville held with their owner, their head coach, Doug Peterson, and with Trayvon, they just went on to say that we want him to come in and have a big impact right away, and they feel that he will do that. And when you draft a guy, number one overall, usually that's the case, unless it's a quarterback. Even if you draft a quarterback like they did draft Trevor Lawrence, number one overall, a little bit ago, you know he's going to be your guy, but you may not play him initially knowing that there's going to be that huge jump to the NFL and that there's going to be some sort of a transition. If you're a defensive end or someone like that, they're probably going to play you right away unless you're hurt, and we'll see what kind of production you can produce for them. So with how successful Georgia's defense was last year, especially being the main reason why they won it all, we also knew that with all the pre-draft stuff and all of the hype leading up to the draft, they were going to have an incredible draft in terms of number of guys actually drafted. And this was proven to be true because they broke the record that having 15 players drafted. The 2004 Buckeyes and the 2020 LSU Tigers had previously shared this record with 14 players drafted each, but everybody knew that Georgia had a shot at breaking multiple records, and this was one of those main records as well, and they got it. They had five players drafted in the first round, and they were actually all defensive players. They saw wide receiver George Pickens and running back James Cook then go in the second round. Two linebackers in Nicobe Dean and linebacker Channing Tindall go in the third round. Two players in the fourth round and then four more players going in the sixth round. Nicobe Dean is interesting and I feel, I mean, this is such a good get for the Philadelphia Eagles in the third round. And I'm not really surprised that he fell to the third round based off of the really the lack of the pre-draft hype or the rumors that we were hearing. I didn't hear a lot of speculation and even rumors that he was going to be late first round or even second round. People just kind of seemed to, f- to forget about him. And I think a lot of that had to do with this was such a top-heavy defensive class in terms of the defensive backs that we saw and the defensive ends that we've already talked about so far. People kind of forgot about the linebackers and Kobe Dean. I thought he had first-round talent. I thought he could easily go in the late first round. But then you start to see or you start to hear that there really isn't much hype surrounding this. That's when you start to see players like Nakobe dip a little bit. And I really feel the Eagles really kind of stole him in the third round. He was really a stud. And he was the leader on this Georgia team that won the national championship this last year. He was also a, a unanimous All-American and won the Buckus Award his senior year, which is awarded to the best linebacker in college football. So from his standpoint, he couldn't have had a better senior year as a linebacker. Similar to his teammate that went number one overall in Trayvon Walker, Nakobe was also a five-star prospect out of high school, and he came out of the state of Mississippi. He was the number one player in that state and the number two inside linebacker in that class. And the two things I like about Nakobe Dean the most is that he's able to trigger very quickly. He recognizes things at a very high level and crashes downhill. 
And part of that has to do with the second thing that I like, which is his intelligence. He studies film. He knows what he's doing. And you can see him recognize things and recognize plays, especially at the high level when they're playing against Alabama in the SEC championship and in the national championship. And what really stands out as a linebacker, and when you're trying to decide on whether or not you want to draft this guy, whether or not he has the traits to become a linebacker at the NFL level, you're going to look at whether or not he can trigger and crash on the ball. And if you can shoot the gap, recognize a play, and sack the quarterback or come up with just a tackle for loss, that is such a huge boost in your upside and in your draft stock. And that is something that Nicobe Dean did very well when he was playing at Georgia. So now we look at the following picks that came after the number one overall pick here. Aiden Hutchinson, defensive end out of Michigan, stayed in the state of Michigan, which is a bonus for the, the Detroit Lions. who drafted a kid who already has that rapport in the state of Michigan, and that makes Lion fans and Wolverine fans happy. But we start to see this heavy emphasis on defensive players, especially very high up in this draft. Defensive back Derek Stingley Jr. out of LSU went third to the Houston Texans. And then corner Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati went fourth to the Jets with Oregon edge rusher Kayvon Thibodeau going fifth. So all defensive players in the top five. So now we start to get into a little bit more of the drama that we saw in this first round, which really stems to the multiple trades that were made pretty much consecutively at the number 11, 12, and 13 picks. And this really started after Ohio State wide receiver Garrett Wilson went 10th to the New York Jets. Then the Saints immediately traded up to get the other Ohio State wide receiver, Chris Olave, with a number 11 pick. And then subsequently, the Lions then traded up to get Alabama wide receiver, Jameson Williams. And these three players, is it's a pretty interesting history because they all have a history together playing at Ohio State. It's really not that often that you see three wide receivers get drafted consecutively in a row especially so high up in the first round but these guys were all teammates at one point with Jamison Williams playing at Ohio State and was one of the starting wide receivers in the 2020 season alongside Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and this is really a testament to what a great coaching job the wide receivers coach at Ohio State Brian Hartland has done with his group here and it's really quite the story with Brian Hartline because he initially joined the Ohio State staff as just a quality control coach in 2017 after a pretty successful career in the NFL. And for those of you that don't know, he's, he's a Buckeye through and through. He played. He was the wide receiver at Ohio State. He went to the NFL, and then he came back to Ohio State in 2017 to get started on his coaching career. And then after the whole Zach Smith situation occurred in 2018, for those of you that don't know, or for those of you that don't remember, he was the wide receivers coach currently at Ohio State then. Zach Smith was ultimately fired after an investigation that took part looking into his personal life. But long story short, Brian Hartline was pretty much forced into the role as the wide receivers head coach. And this was just at the time in 2018 where he had just been officially named to the coaching staff at that point. But he hit the ground running and has done a remarkable job in only being at Ohio State as a full-time coach for a couple years. The biggest factors behind him is that he relates to players well, so that automatically makes him a great recruiter. And then you look at the development that he's had with these players on the field. Ohio State had Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jamison Williams, all three starting receivers for them for the 2020 season. 
Then you look at the depth guys or the younger guys in that room that are coming up behind them. Guys like Jackson Smith Najigba, which if you're a college football fan, we all know who he is, especially after the performances he had last year, most notably with CJ Stroud throwing to him on almost every play ending last year in the Rose Bowl where he had like 350 yards receiving or something ridiculous. I think he's a favorite to go in the first round next year as well. But the point is, this wide receiver room was absolutely stacked, and a lot of that credit is owed to Brian Hartline and the remarkable job that he has done at Ohio State. Brian Hartline's future is actually pretty interesting to think about because you know at some point he's going to want to be a head coach and run his own program. But it feels like it's been so easy and so seamless for him and such a right fit at Ohio State it just feels like he's been a coach longer than he truly has. So at this point, he was promoted, I believe, to become the passing game coordinator, which is just something that um, can warrant a pay raise and just something to officially put on your resume, I guess. But, you know, little titles like that don't really mean much, but it can help keep a guy at your program. And I think in this situation with Ohio State and Brian Hartline, Brian Hartland is quickly working his way up the ranks to become the new, hot, shiny toy that everybody is going to want to come coach their program. He hasn't even become an offensive coordinator yet, and that is normally the next logical step in terms of becoming a head coach. So in this case, Ohio State's current offensive coordinator is former Indiana head coach Kevin Wilson. I believe at some point Kevin Wilson will want to become a head coach again, and so in the future, he will step out the door. And if Brian Hartline is still with the Buckeyes, then they can hang on to him, promote him to the offensive coordinator position. And now you're at the point where he can add some more to his resume, maybe get some looks from some higher power five jobs, and you're keeping him at your program. Look, at some point, he's going to leave. He's going to be head coach elsewhere, and that's just inevitable. But if you're able to keep him and bump him up into that OC position, because I think at this point, even though he hasn't been an offensive coordinator and he isn't an offensive coordinator now, I could see a group of five team going out and getting him just because they're desperate for a head coach. They're desperate for wins. And they see this guy and say, look, we're going to take a chance on him early because we think at some point in two to three years, he could be the hottest thing in the market. And so it's just an interesting thing to look out for. Although Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jamison Williams were no longer teammates at the point in time of the draft, we know that Jamison Williams transferred from Ohio State to Alabama. He pretty much became the guy at Alabama and is an absolute burner, has top-end speed, and was their go-to skill player for their Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, Bryce Young. Unfortunately for Jamison Williams, I mean, he pretty much solidified him himself as a first round pick, maybe even a top five, top 10 pick before tearing his ACL in the national championship game. So we saw him drop a little bit, but if he hadn't tore his ACL, I think a lot of guys would think that he was a top receiver in that draft. And that's just due to his speed and his ability to absolute break the top off the defense. His story is interesting transferring out of Ohio state, but it, it, it's, I guess a good problem to have due to the fact that in the 2020 season, Jameson Williams was a starter for the Buckeyes, but he was essentially the, the third option. And then you start looking at the 2021 season. Garrett Wilson's coming back, and Chris Olave decided to come back 
Although he really didn't have to come back, he probably could have gone pro last year, but he wanted that one more year, and it, it proved to work out really well for him. But if you're Jameson Williams, you're looking at the fact that you were already the third option in the 2020 season. Now with both those guys ahead of you coming back, you're probably going to be the third option again. And it's not that he's not good. And it's not that Ohio State didn't think he was good. Obviously, they thought he was good. They went out, recruited him, got him, and he was a starter for them. It's just you're behind Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who are that good and maybe just a little bit better. And then you look at who else is in that room, younger guys or guys that are working their way up and coming behind them. Jackson Smith Najigba is one of those guys. And it's easy for us to see that now because he had a ridiculous year last year in his first year as a starter. But if you're Ohio State's coaching staff, you're looking at JSN and you're saying to yourself, okay, how the hell do we keep this guy off the field? And now you're looking at four receivers with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. You know those two guys are going to play. You're not taking those two guys off the field. You like what you see with Jameson Williams, but you recognize the talent with JSN. And you say to yourself, I mean, we got to get this guy on the field and get the ball in his hand at least a little bit. And that's not due to any talent gap. That's just due to how talented JSN was. So if you're Jameson Williams, you're like, well, okay, screw this. I'm leaving. I'm going to go to one of the other premier programs in the country in Alabama, still compete for national championships. And also, they were in a little bit of trouble because they didn't have any skill players, really. And so they had a gap to fill. Jameson Williams filled that gap perfectly, and it worked out for him. And then, as we know, Jackson Smith and Jigba became that third receiver for the Buckeyes behind Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. They had a great season. So it really worked out for everybody. And I'm glad that Jameson Williams was still able to make some money and become a, a high first-round draft pick even after having that injury. So now we're, we're going to move into some winners of the draft. And this is kind of weird to say because this isn't always the case year after year. But it feels like both New York teams with the Jets and the Giants pretty much having good picks and having good drafts in general, especially in the first round. So if we start with the Giants, I mean, they took Oregon pass rusher Kayvon Thibodeau at number five overall, and then Alabama offensive lineman Evan Neal with the number seven pick. Both these guys were arguably the best players at their position. So these are both good picks and pretty much no-brainers. And if we stick with the edge rusher Kayvon Thibodeau here. I mean, going into last season, many had pegged Kayvon as not only the best defensive end in the, in the country at that point, but the best defensive end in the draft for this year's draft class. A lot of them thought that he was probably going to be the overall number one pick. And this guy was wrecking games. He was wrecking quarterbacks, offensive lines, and he was a very good player himself. He did start to see some injuries. It wasn't anything major, just some minor things. Started to get banged up. He didn't play in Columbus against the Ohio State game last year. But when guys like that start to get hurt, you start to kind of drop a little bit. And then we see someone like Georgia's defense going bonkers all year. And now everyone's attention is drawn to Georgia's defense. And then you have the Michigan defensive end, Aiden Hutchinson, creating havoc all year and coming up with big plays. And now it, it feels like the media and the teams find themselves focused on Georgia and the Michigan D end when they're kind of forgetting about Kayvon as he didn't play in every game due to some injuries. So he snuck back into the top five, but credit to the Giants for seeing that he was still there. And this is a very good pick for them. And then also a good move to get 
the Alabama offensive lineman here with Evan. Look, I mean, they clearly don't have their quarterback in Daniel Jones. They know that they're going to have to get a new quarterback for their future. But once you do get your guy at quarterback, you know that you already have a stud with Evan already on the offensive line. So you're already building that protection around your future quarterback whenever they end up getting him and whoever that is. This is such a good move by the Giants. And of course, it always looks great on paper. It doesn't always work out in the real world. But the last thing you want is a Joe Burrow situation with Cincinnati where they got their guy in Joe Burrow, but they can't protect him. And then he's sacked 50, 60, 70 times, whatever, in a season where they have some skilled players. They have some good guys on defense. They made it to the freaking Super Bowl. They lost, but it was a close game. And just imagine if they could have given Joe Burrow some actual time to throw the ball. And then we also know in Joe Burrow's first season, he had that catastrophic leg injury. Now he was able to come back from that and had a great year last year. But you got to be able to protect your quarterback. If you get a stud quarterback, that's great. But you got to build the offensive line around him. So this is really a great move for the Giants. Now we're going to the other side of New York. I mean, the Jets probably won the first round, I would say, out of any other team. And if not only the first round, they may have won the draft in general, which we're not used to saying that. So that definitely sounds weird for the Jets, who are known for just being a terrible team and a terrible organization. But they took what was arguably the top corner in the draft at Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati with the number four pick. And then they took arguably the best wide receiver in the draft with Garrett Wilson with a 10th pick. Then they secured another first-round pick to get the Florida State pass rusher, Jermaine Johnson. So they essentially got their big three here, and they could check off all their goals for what they wanted to get out of the first round. I also think another winner here in the NFL draft, we're going to go with the Detroit Lions, who not only took Aiden Hutchinson number two overall, as we pointed out, but they also traded up to get Jameson Williams with the 12th pick. And we noted this earlier, but his speed really sets him apart, and he's an absolute burner. He'll come back from the ACL injury. He'll be fine. He'll still have very top-end speed. When I was watching the first round, after the Saints, who fell in love in Chris Olave, when they when they saw that he was available, they traded up quickly, and then Detroit then traded up quickly. I was like, oh man, we're they're going to go with JMO here. I don't I don't know who who else he'd go with other than Jameson Williams. I mean, they're going to need a quarterback, right? Jared Goff isn't the answer to their future. But again, this isn't a quarterback heavy draft, so try to get some skilled players. Jameson Williams is a steal at the twelfth pick, especially with how good he was early on in the year. This is a great get for them, and they did a good job with their first couple picks in the draft. So to the analysts or the so-called experts in the pre-draft process saying that this draft was going to be a bust or that there are going to be quite a few misses, I would disagree. I think the talent is here. We just don't see it with the quarterbacks. As you can tell, we didn't even talk about any of the quarterbacks this year. Next year will be a different story. Obviously, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Will Anderson are probably the top three names. We'll see who else forces themselves into the picture to be a top five pick next year. But this year's draft class was really all about building your team outside of your quarterback, whether or not you have that guy. After every NFL draft, every front office and every team always feels like they have the best guys or did the best they could with the players and the picks that they had. But it really feels like this year, I mean, it was a nice blend of a lot of a lot of organizations pulling in really good picks. 
And so when you're seeing multiple teams pulling really good picks and you go, wow, that'll be a great fit. That just tells me that this was a talent-rich class, especially on the defensive side. Okay, so that's going to wrap up this week's episode of SE. We'll get back on track with our normal exposures starting next week and just keep pumping out content for you guys the rest of this offseason. As we start to get closer and later in the summer into July and August, we are going to start looking at more of the current teams and players in big-time games that are going to take place early on in September. There are some highlighted games we want to point out and break down for you guys as we get closer. But in the meantime, you guys can find us and follow us on our social medias at Silent Exposure on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, and then at Silent Exposed on Twitter. Ratings and reviews are always appreciated, so thank you to all you guys that have done that thus far, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening.